I gave up my job. I gave up everything. I came. I came. This week on Pangea, we talked to Ify, a doctor and medical researcher from Nigeria. This podcast is building to a mixed-media performance installation about women's journeys and the real, imagined concepts of the present Pangea. It's produced by Luciole International Theater Company, based in Houston, Texas. The photography in the final exhibition will be featured by Rashad Hawk. The sound design and music is composed by Garrett Gonzalez. And a special thank you to Carol Keating, Debbie Bai, and all of our Kickstarter backers, and everyone that has given their support to this project. I'm Melissa Flower. I'm Lisa Villegas. This is Pangea. I came here about eight years ago. Actually, I came here because I was married. My, uh, my ex-husband and I, uh, we got married back in Nigeria. He was already living here. He was a citizen and he, which was off. He, he would spend maybe about six months here, then spend six months in Nigeria. I, when we got married, I told him that I didn't really want to give up my career. I was a pathologist. I didn't really want to give up my career and all that, you know. I would I would have been content, you know. He would come spend six months here and come to Nigeria mm-hmm. spend six months there. I would have been content and happy about it. But family again, this is a new marriage. They said this is a new marriage. How can you live apart, you know, at this initial stage? So I gave up my job, he gave up everything I came. It was hard because I'm a doctor. I had finished my residency. I was almost like a professor back in Nigeria. I gave all that up. I think if we had um, if we had stayed back in Nigeria, we would probably not have uh, separated because uh, marriage in Nigeria a lot of times is there's a lot of uh, duty involved in marriage. You know, you have a sense of duty to your parents, to your in-laws, and to the community. So. Even when things are so bad, the two families come together, talk to the two of us, try to work things out, and even if we didn't like each other, we would still have stayed. (laughs) A lot of marriages in Nigeria, there's a very deep sense of commitment, especially in my culture. People talk about love, love, love here. Mm -hmm. I mean, the love love aspect of it comes into factor. Most times, it's duty, you know, and I... Especially our family, we're Christians, his family are Christians. It's really nothing like divorce. Marriage is good, but rather than being unhappy, and I don't like divorce. Funnily enough, I do not like divorce. Mm-hmm. I don't like divorce. Maybe if we had had children, I would not have divorced him. I don't like divorce, mm-hmm. you know. But yeah. uh, if, like, when, uh, going back to what I was saying, if we had stayed in Nigeria, I would probably still because I wouldn't want to bring shame to my parents, to my family, and he wouldn't want to bring shame to his family, and I wouldn't want to bring shame to my church because I'm Anglican, and the Anglican church back home is even worse than the Anglican church here. They have a very dim view of divorce. You're divorced, you can't take Holy Communion, you can't, do, you can't participate in church activity. They are worse than the Catholic church. There's nothing like divorce in the Anglican, the Anglican church back home. So I would have stayed. Because there's a lot of things I would lose if I, if I left the marriage, mm. you know. My parents.
parents are, you know, my parents can surprise you. I mean, like all parents, you know, you think you think they are going to skin you alive when you do something, and so you'd be surprised at how calm they are, you know. Um, they were like, okay, so you left the marriage, right? They weren't really happy about it, but they got over it fast. They are very, my dad was really, really very understanding, you know. I, I told him that we were always quarreling. I mean, we were so incompatible. Like, if, I, if he left this thing here, Oh, I don't like where you live it. If I left it here, I don't like where you... We, we just... We were very... I, I don't really think we liked each other. There was violence involved on his part to me, you know, so... He didn't make me feel unsafe. No, there were. He hit me, I hit him back. I, I was younger, now I'm more mature. You see? <laughs> I'm not one of those women that you will hit me around to the bathroom, bedroom and lock myself up. No, anything I shall throw at you. <laughs> No, but it's not a good way to live, you know. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, it wasn't. A, <laughs> not it's very, very unhealthy. It's yeah. very, very, it's very, very unhealthy, you know. Mm -hmm. It's the second time we had a fight. Like I told you, he hits me, and I, I think I gave him a large thump. He and, <laughs> and I sat and I thought. I said to myself, "This is not me." I was a kid at school that, you know, other kids would bully and I'd go home crying. I've never gotten physical and if I'm getting physical with somebody I'm supposed to call my husband, then mm -hmm. I have to leave. Mm -hmm. it, you know, it, it, it was becoming very toxic. We were supposed to be newly wedded <laughs> and all that, you know, I never felt newly wedded, you know. I, I left. We had uh, a big quarrel. And of course, by the time I came, I already had a house here, it was in his name and all that, you know, and he said, oh, I don't want you anymore, you can go, I don't want you, I don't want you, I don't want you. And I'm like, to be very honest with you, I was waiting for him to say that. Then I have an excuse to tell my parents for why I was leaving. It made it easy. I could tell my parents that he asked me to leave. I think that was why they were so a little bit understanding. I had to live with my relatives, which wasn't so comfortable. Number one, I, uh, I'm a mature woman, you know, mistress of my own life, but having to live with relatives. I mean, they were very good and all that, you know, but it's not exactly the same thing, you know, because they, most of them, at one point or the other in their lives, it, they lived with us. So they still saw me as a kid. It's rather humiliating. They found it difficult to understand me because I didn't really fall into the mold they have for women. You see, in Nigeria, right, if you're a woman and you're very smart, you dumb down. So I think that was you dumb down your intelligence. Mm -hmm. Especially when you are dealing not with your female contemporaries, but if you are dealing with men, they don't. So I think that's one of the reasons I didn't really get married on time in Nigeria. I didn't really fit into that mode. I'm, I've always been like, why should I play dumb? And if I know something, I talk about it. You know, that was unfortunately that was when my parents brought me up. My parents were modern. In that way, I think that was another problem I had with my uh, ex-husband. I think I was smarter than him. I mean, 
to be honest. It's, he wasn't somebody we didn't really have anything to talk about, mm-hmm. and he resented it. Now, if I were smarter, let's just say that I was smarter than him book wise, mm-hmm. but if I were smarter street wise, mm-hmm. maybe I could have played dumb a little bit, mm-hmm. but that's not me. So living with my relatives here to my uncles and all that, I had some problems with them too because if they said something, you keep quiet, even if it's stupid. And uh, I mean, they have relatives, you know, but like all uh, African men, they always want to feel they're in charge, very controlled. I see their wives, their wives are so, so smart and they play dumb. They seem to be happy. I don't know what's in their minds, you know, but I'll feel like I was a bird caged in a bird, you know. I have done all my board exams, everything that's required uh, that the uh, American Medical Board requires, I I have it, but unfortunately with the downward uh, economic turn, the recession, mm-hmm. the government's not funding, not giving enough funding to Medicare because Medicare takes care of residency programs, you know. And a lot of hospitals shutting down. So, and a lot of U.S. Uh, medical schools churning uh, out new doctors. So, by the time they take their own students, there's really isn't much left for foreign medical graduates. There's an alternative that I'm doing right now. I'm into research, so I do research for the medical school. Actually, I do really miss being a doctor, but this is also very uh, fulfilling. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's it's very fulfilling, and of course the monetary part of it. You know, I miss that. <laughs> I can't complain. It could be worse, you know, because I know lots of other doctors that are in worse situation. You know, I'm a Christian, so I've been told that in every situation, you give thanks to God. So, if you have that situation, if you have that mindset, nothing will weigh you down. I mean, you have periods. In, that you're down, you know, you're blue and all that, but you bounce right back. I mean, it's all part of life. I mean, I've given 17 years of my life as a doctor, so mm-hmm. I can, yeah. And I still get to use my medical knowledge in uh, mm-hmm. research, so it's mm-hmm. not wasted. I had a regular childhood, you know. Mm-hmm. I got spanked when I, did, I was naughty by my mom. I'm the oldest. My parents have seven of us. So um, my mom was the disciplinarian. She believed in spare the rod as for the child. That was her mantra. <laughs> so you got spanked. But my dad had these panthers. And he gave everybody the impression that he would call, actually call you when you've been naughty and tell you, oh, you're my favorite, I don't want you to do this. And we all grew up believing that. I grew up believing I was his favorite. And he would tell you, don't tell your brothers. <laughs> it was after he died that I was supposed to be reading the eulogy. And I'm like, oh, this is so difficult. I was his favorite child. And my brother was like, he told me I was his favorite child. I mean, like, that wasn't how he passed in 2011. He used to tell us stories. They were folk tales. So I remember those stories. In African culture, you know, the, the tortoise is considered to be very wise. So there are lots of stories about him being very wily, you know, and cunning. A lot, most children are not yet told those stories, you know. Even now, yeah. Even back then, even my 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 nephews and nieces don't know. But I remember because my dad grew up in the village, so he knows. Yeah, but we were raised in, in the city. But my dad made sure that we 
knew where we came from. One day he called us, sat us down, and told us how we migrated from somewhere in East Africa a long, long time ago, and came and settled down in present. And he narrated the names of our ancestors. He had done research and all that. You know, he took his time, and I regret a lot of things now. Because when he was telling those stories, I never really, especially when we came, where we came from, he told us the name of the town in East Africa. Now, if, if, if you know the map of Africa, East Africa is far from West Africa, which is where. But after he was able to trace where we came from, then the first place we settled in Eastern Nigeria, maybe that was in 13 something, then gradually we started migrating from that place and to own hometown and village. Yes. How my hometown came and settled in Nigeria. So I remember that, that's what I remember about him. Mm. And it gives you a sense of identity, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when things, when things uh, get really tough, you have a sense of that you come from somewhere. I don't know if you understand what I mean. Mm -hmm. The feeling of history, mm -hmm. yeah. Now, at one point, your relationship with your parents change. They now become the child and you become the parent. <laughs> you know, I get scared when anything, you know, my mom is, uh, if she's unwell, so, yeah. I used to do that with my dad. And I'll call him, he hated going to the uh, hospital. And I'll call him and yell at him and shout and scream. But they never really see it like that, you know, so. I think I harassed him. I didn't know how much I was harassing him about his health. Till one day I overheard him, I called, I overheard him. He told my mom, I overheard him telling my mom that if it's if it's so I'm sleeping, I don't want to have to shoot. <laughs> Some places in Houston you go to is like Nigeria. The weather, like FM 1960, reminds me of some places in Nigeria. I've made friends here. I'm not one that makes friends. I mean, on the surface, to be very honest with everybody, well, if it's very pleasant, if it's very pleasant, you know. But it takes me time inside me to really warm up to people. I was say my younger brother, he was dating this girl and well, they dated for about three years, but apparently didn't really know her very well till they got married. Because a month after they got married, the girl had a full psychotic breakdown. Almost killed him. Took a knife and was running after him to stab him. She didn't know that the girl had a, the girl had a, uh, was schizophrenic. And she had been off her medicines. He did not know. So because of that, he... He said he, he was scared, you know, he's an engineer, he doesn't know anything about medicine and unfortunately mental illness still has a lot of stigma back home. So he said uh, he didn't want the marriage again, he didn't want to get married to Haigara, he wanted the marriage dissolved. He just said no, so you're married, you're married, for better, for worse. But if he's here, it's a lot easier, you can dissolve the marriage. Mm -hmm. It, there's a lot of stigma attached to it and for example in my culture you know like let me give you an example when my ex-husband's family came to ask my family for my hand in marriage both families wanted to know if there was mental illness in the family yeah because it precludes you from getting married 
because they feel that, and it's true medically, some mental illness can be passed down to generations that they want to know. There's lots of things they want. They want to know if there is alcoholism in the family, of course. You see, they, they ask those questions, they, you know, they just ask because from experience, they have known that if the father was an alcoholic, most likely one of the children will be alcohol. Because apart from a child growing up, growing up in a culture of alcoholism, you know, there's a gene attached to alcoholism. Um, that's why you don't look down at people's cultures. Um, westernized ancestors, illiterate, did not know that, but they knew there was a pattern. So they asked for this if there was a history of mental illness, alcoholism. Then funnily enough, they asked for leprosy. And it's come over, families hide it because there's a stigma attached to it. Like my ex-husband's family, they, his younger brother had a, has a mental, mm-hmm. was mentally ill, really, really bad mentally ill, you know, but they never said it, told my family that. They never did, because if they had told my family, my fa- now that's another thing I used when I wanted to leave him, mm-hmm. I told my family that. So my dad didn't really, because my family, I told you they are very conservative, they are very, what's the word, churches, like we say in Nigeria, there's church, you know. But I needed to have a good excuse. So that's the stigma that's attached to it. Okay, when you talk about things like depression, okay, it's the same thing in Nigeria, suck it up. And again, for in an environment where you have to, especially if you are not educated, you have to eke out a living. As a mother, you don't really have the luxury to be depressed. You just have to go out. You can't watch your children starve. Well, of course, you know, society, even when it comes to mental illness, society also modulates how we react. Mm-hmm. Here, somebody will go out and all that. But in Nigeria, you find the women are a bit more violent. Mm-hmm. You see a woman being so abusive, will beat the child, and you think she's just a mean woman and all that. But a lot of times there's depression. Mm-hmm. Well, because she hasn't uh, had the luxury to to really express it and all that. She takes it out on the kids, excessive anger. Because if she were to express it here, the way it's expressed here, people would say you are weak, you know, you have, you know? There's it's a big, huge stigma in the African-American yeah. community. Yeah. Yeah. You see, but remember they came from Africa, and a lot of beliefs and you know, behaviors. Keep, mm-hmm. Even at times, some families with this own, so you find them, uh, roaming on the streets and so that's why the government will have to get them and put them in a mental home. Yes. Oh, okay. Another thing that shocked me when I came to this country is even I still get shocked, you know. When I see a man in Nigeria, I know he's a man. Mm-hmm. I see a woman, I know he's a woman. Now, the first, when I was in Georgia, I was at a train station and this woman comes walks in you know and um oh my gosh she was very beautiful very very beautiful you know she had poise she had grace she had she was very elegant you know and she sat down the way my mother has always tried to teach me and, and failed <laughs> me straight you know courage sat down straight you know like i remember when i was young my mother would get this kind of the chair, the dining chair, and tell me to align my spine with the chair, that that is how 
a woman is supposed to sit. Unfortunately, that didn't work. You know, she tried to make me to walk properly, putting things on my head. That did not work. But this woman was so graceful till she spoke. <laughs> then I now looked. I know women, so women have deep voices, right? But this was a man's voice. Then I now looked. She had an Adam's apple. <laughs> She was really very elegant. I mean, she was really very beautiful, you know? Yeah. Really, and I was looking at her from a clinical point of view. Oh my God, if she was a, you know, she was really, everything was chest, everything. I was like, oh my God, you know? So, it's very shocking. That was my first culture. It was really very shocking to me. I was never really defined by my color. I was never described by my color. If you saw me walking along the road, you say, oh, that short chubby lady. But here, that black short chubby lady. You see, Nigeria has different tribes. We all speak different languages. We all have different cultures. I mean, we are like a couple in an unhappy marriage, but we're not going anywhere. Because when the British came to colonize us, they just brought them, to make things easier to for them to make it easier for them to govern us. They put us together, and we are stuck together. You know, so there is tribalism, where one tribe feels that that they have the right to govern others. When the British left in 1960. My tribe, we are the most educated, we are the most hardworking and all that. But they found us, you know, this racism thing. I'm sorry, I'm going to be very open here. Yeah. yeah. I don't want you to feel offended, but you asked me a question. I'm going to say it in the context here. The British, they liked people that were subservient. Now, my culture, we are not subservient type. We've never had a kingdom like other tribes had kingdoms. We had our... Uh, the way we lived our life was a bit like the Greeks, mm -hmm. where every able-bodied man had a say in his community. There was nobody that was a king. We didn't really have kings. So they found it difficult governing us, and where they considered us very unruly. So, but they had a preference for the northern people in now northern Nigeria. They were Muslims. They had their small kingdoms, so they could rule the people through they're, they're called emirs. Mm -hmm. So when they left, we were the most educated, we were the most able, you had the, how do I say, the uh, intellectuals with my tribe, but they didn't like it. So they left power with the northern, with the northerners. They were Muslims. See, what is happening now in the, in the world now with the Middle East crime, with Islam and all, it's not new. There's a lot people don't understand about this. The British, they've always, love the Muslim. They always had a soft spot for them. But they don't have a soft spot for them. I mean that's a, a that's an entirely different thing. But what I what that left when they left they left power with these people. We felt it was unfair. We fought a civil war in the sixties. They tried to kill us and all that. So even up to now there's that tribalism where you are very qualified for a job and you don't get it. They give it to somebody that is less qualified. We're coming here, and people talk about racism. 
I don't see because I'm coming from a place where you've been facing discrimination. I mean, it's like that in all, almost all everywhere, every country you go to, you know. And people talk about racism and all that. It hurts quite alright, but it's something. Discrimination is something you one has always faced their whole life. So it really doesn't. If somebody treats you differently, it doesn't really hurt. You understand what I'm saying? Because you've seen it. You've experienced it mm -hmm. from somebody who is the same skin color like you. Mm -hmm. So if somebody who's a different skin color, I mean, like, it's not, I'm like, okay, well, if somebody like my own, if somebody who is the same skin color like me treats me, would treat me differently, why would, why would I be offended from, you know, with somebody who is not the same? In terms of all the sophistication, people think they are very sophisticated in this country and all that, but to be very honest with you, the way I see it, most people are not any different from the person in Africa in the way you treat other people. A lot of people here think that they are better. Oh, thank God. I have the phrase, oh, thank God we live in such a civilized country. I'm like, I said to myself, oh, no, you are not. You are not civilized if you still treat other people differently because, oh, you know, and, and, and I get this thing, like, they say, oh, thank God you are here now. Like, I was coming from a maybe probably think I was living in a cave or a tree somewhere, you know. Well, thank God you're here now. <laughs> it's very amusing. I find it very amusing. So, what I'm trying to say is, human nature is the same thing everywhere. We're going to treat people that we think are different from us. We're going to treat them in a even when you try to be good. There's a kind of benevolence. You know, in your attitude, a kind of patronizing attitude. Thank God you're here now, you know? Yeah. <laughs> They're my friends. They say with all innocence and all that, you know, I don't get offended, but I find it very amusing. Western journalism only shows the bad part of Africa. The, all the African you see are, yes, there are children that are diseased with flies all over them, you know? You see that, but there are some parts that have very rich history. So, but they never talk about that. They never ever do. I don't. It's still that. It's still that subtle racism. You know, yes. no matter how liberal they claim to be, you see, they're only liberal when it comes to things that are very evil, that is abhorrent in human nature. Oh, that's when you see them raising the flag of liberalism. But this, you know. Things that dignify people, they don't talk about that. But at the same time, Africa has a, a very rich history that nobody talks about. And there are some places that, like, if you go to some places in Nigeria, there is like New York, they don't talk about that. All you ever hear is Nigeria is corruption, corruption. Yes, Nigeria is corrupt. But they make it seem like there's nothing there apart from corruption. The hallmark of when humanity achieves the greatest level of their potential, whether you're white, black, or green, or whatever, is when you see somebody and you treat the person the way you want to be treated, genuinely. Not patronizing, not trying to be good, just, you know? And I get offended when people say they don't see color. It's a lie, we all see color. You're, you're not seeing me. You know, it means you don't see me, you don't recognize where I come from, you don't recognize the forces that have shaped whom I am. I, I get that a lot on Facebook from church. I don't see color. We all see colors. You are white and black. Mm -hmm. You are who you are. Mm -hmm. 
you grew up in a white culture that has shaped you to be who you are. I grew up in, in an African country that has shaped who I am. You recognize my differences and respect it. I recognize your differences and respect it. That is it. Don't tell me you don't see in color. <laughs> we all do. Then you're blind. I always follow this rule. And it's a rule that cuts across religion. I think even in, in Buddhism and Hinduism, just treat your fellow man the way you want to be treated. Um, try not to be so sensitive about everything. Oh, that's my parents' wedding. Hello. Okay, let me show you. So this was, uh, my parents got married during the Civil War. The church was uh, burnt. Yeah, the church was burnt. But they got married inside the church, but they couldn't have the reception because the parish mm -hmm. hall was so badly damaged. So mm -hmm. they had the reception outside. After the wedding, my mom took off her wedding gown I went to fight in the war, my dad too. It was a war of survival. It's, it was a genocide. It's not something, to, if you go Google the Biafra war, you go mm -hmm. Google it. Mm -hmm. A lot was happening in the world at that time that nobody, this was the first war in Africa, the first civil war, genocide mm -hmm. in Africa. <laughs> and the British government supported, who were the rebels? They supported the Nigerian troops gave them ammunitions, everything to kill us. But we are very resourceful. We made our own ammunitions with whatever we could find. It was a, about, about three million people died. Children died from starvation. Yeah. The Red Cross, funnily enough, that is why, you see, everybody in my tribe, we're all Christians. That is why with all the animosity in Nigeria against Israel, we support Israel because Israel, they were the only country that uh, Israel and uh, South Africa, funnily enough, they were having appetite, but they supported us. <laughs> Politics is strange. Politics makes strange bedfellows. <laughs> yes. They were having this appetite, but they supported <laughs> Then um, France. The America, I think you guys were going through a lot of your own. You were having the Vietnam, <laughs> the Vietnam War. Okay. The British made sure that I didn't know why the whole thing was, was for oil, because all the oil deposits was in my part of the country, not in the north. So if we split, they wouldn't get the oil. Because a lot of our leaders, my, a lot of our leaders, Igbo leaders, my tribe is Igbo, they were tending towards communism to Russia. Mm. So even if America was not going through it, America would have cited Britain. Oh, yeah, because of the Cold War. And they hated communism generally. Yeah, communism yeah. is not good. But then at that point in time, it seemed like a good idea. Yeah. Everything yeah. for everybody, not just for one set of people mm -hmm. and all that. Mm -hmm. I really kind of appealed to us mm -hmm. because it was something that was in my culture. Even before the white man came, we didn't have government kingdoms like other other. Everybody was a free man and everybody could contribute to the well-being of the community, to the society. Mm -hmm. So everybody was equal. There wasn't this kind, of, like the northern part where they had kingdom, they had this kind of feudal system, you know. Mm -hmm. Now today what's happening in Nigeria is there's no middle class, that yeah. is either you have or you don't have it. And of course, Islam, mm -hmm. Boko Haram, they're attacking Christians. In fact, just last uh, Friday they attacked a Catholic church. 
for the silliest of reasons because they, they went to they had a, a prayer meeting in the church and the Muslim came and attacked the church and they weren't supposed to pray on, uh, on Friday that Friday was meant for the Muslims they have their own mosque can you imagine that doesn't make any sense mm -hmm. I don't know why that is happening because the president is a Muslim he's a staunch Muslim that has kind of emboldened them to do that it's very brazen Mm -hmm. Now, on um, yeah, attacking Christians. Well, unfortunately, my part of the country where my parents live, we are mostly Christians and all that, you know, we can recognize strangers. You see, so we are very, my part of the country is very homogeneous, just us. So if we see somebody who's from the north, the person is going to look different from us. So we would know. So, it's, so that has kind of given us a sense of safety. So because up north, they are mostly, mostly they do have some Christians, like my friend up there. She's, um, she's from Nigeria, mm -hmm. and uh, she's from up north, but she's a Christian. The Christians are a minority. Mm -hmm. But in my part of the country, we are all Christian, the eastern part of the country. Mm -hmm. you know, we are all Christians. Then the western part of the country, the Yorubas, they are 50% either everybody, either a Christian or a Muslim. No, I can give that to the... British, they did a good job. <laughs> you know, so if everybody looked the same, to be very, very boring. And we all, I have learned a lot from it. Just having an open mind, you know, you 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 learn a lot from people, which is what makes this country one of the. I keep saying it. Everybody say, oh, the U.S. is not what it used to be. Well, I don't know what it used to be, but to me, it's still the greatest country in the world, in spite of all its faults. You know, no country is perfect. There's no utopia, not in this lifetime. Thanks for tuning in to Pangea. Join us next week as we meet G, a visual artist who recently arrived in Houston from Egypt.